This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Former Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, Matt Hancock, is the next to give evidence to our lockdown inquiry. Matt, hello. Firstly, I appreciate you entering the lion's den really tonight because it's fair to say that I have been one of the longest standing critics of the government's lockdown policy and you are obviously one of its biggest proponents, arguably one of its architects. So we have a short amount of time tonight. We did actually offer you the full hour, Matt, but you went for about a third of that. So let's have a respectful exchange. Let's get through things quickly no bloviating because obviously there's lots of points to cover. Sure. So the, any government must make decisions that weigh up the benefits of the measures that they introduce against the harms that they cause. You would agree with that, right? 100%. And previously, the UK had an influenza pandemic preparedness strategy dated in 2011. It was meant to be used for coronaviruses as well. And that intended that the public be able to continue their normal lives without border closures, without the end of mass gatherings, without work from home orders, without school closures. So do you accept that there were detailed plans in place for the UK that would have preserved normality and proportionality during a pandemic? Well, those plans were written for a different disease. And so- They were written for coronaviruses. They were written based on uh, influenza. And the, the, the preparations had been based on um, the threat of a pandemic flu. Um, and those preparations, some parts of them were incredibly important and incredibly helpful, like putting through some of the uh, legal changes that were needed, that were, that were ready and drafted. Um, but the, you're right in the starting point of your question, which is you have to balance in any government decision, but especially in these really big ones, these, these, these huge weights on either side. Yes, so fundamentally, you abandoned that plan. That is fair to say. So given the huge risks involved with abandoning a plan like that, which had been thought through for a long time, why was the decision made to never do a comprehensive cost-benefit analysis or impact assessment of non-pharmaceutical interventions, yeah. including lockdown? Or were they done yeah. and we just weren't told about them? So the plans that we had, the preparation was based on uh, pandemic flu. That's mm -hmm. what the exercises have been done on. Um, and obviously at the time, we then had to make decisions according to the, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the situations we found it. You know, a new coronavirus, which was unprecedented. And the hard part, of course, was that we were in this fog of uncertainty in terms of the lack of to data. To begin with, yes. Yeah, yeah. But there was never a full cost-benefit analysis done at any point, was there? Well, there was as much of an assessment as you can make in the incredibly short amount of time. And the challenge that we had was that the, uh, the forecasts of increased cases and increased deaths... The problem wasn't the forecast. The problem was that the forecasts were coming true. And that, is, that was the fundamental challenge. So you have to look at the costs, not just the costs, you know, the economic costs in terms of mental health, um, the, diff, the, the costs in terms of people not being able to access other types of treatment, 
and the costs of inaction. And we could see that the costs of inaction were going to be absolutely enormous. Okay, look, I want to get to some specifics. Uh, Did you sign off the order from the NHS CEO to discharge elderly patients from hospital back into care homes without testing them in March 2020? Well, in March 2020, we didn't have the tests that we needed. Um, We didn't have a testing regime. That's one of the lessons of the pandemic. We didn't have a testing regime at any scale. Um, but what we at did what time do, do you say you didn't have enough tests? Well, at that at that time, I mean, because between the seventeenth of March and the fifteenth of April, about twenty five thousand people were discharged from hospitals into facilities. That's according to the National Audit Office, and by that point, you already had capacity for ten thousand daily tests, and there were over five hundred thirty thousand tests carried out in the UK by the 20th of April. So there was a testing capacity available. You chose not to use it on the people being discharged into the care homes. Well, it had to be clinically prioritised. And to clinically prioritise... No, I know, but you just said the tests weren't available. So I'm just making the point they were available. What I said was enough tests weren't available. Important difference, right? Because then once you have a certain amount of tests, and we started with, you know, 100 tests a day, and then we got up, you're right, to to, uh, 10,000 tests a day. I think it was by the uh, end of... Mm. Um, by the start of April, and you know, then I, hit, I set that 100,000 mm-hmm. tests a day target to make yes. sure we had a lot. Yes, right? I know, but, but, but this th- was the key moment. Yeah. This was the key moment well, on when so, you had to make the choice. Right. So, so, because, well, let me just ask, did care home operators warn your department right at the start of the pandemic not to discharge hospital patients into care homes without a test? Did so they warn you of that? We didn't have the enough tests available to be able to do that without removing tests from mm-hmm. other people for whom they were a life-saving okay, matter. But, and let me but just, do you acknowledge you were warned of that? Um, I don't have recollection of that. OK, well, the but, Care but Provider I, Alliance, this is important, they emailed you directly. They didn't email your department, they emailed you directly. And they said all people discharged from hospital to social care settings must be tested before Discharge. But the thing is... So did you get that email or not? The thing is that in a situation like a pandemic, Mm. right, um, where you have a limited capacity for testing, and we needed a bigger capacity, Mm -hmm. uh, and we were building that bigger capacity, you've then got to decide, okay, how do we use these tests? Yes. And you've got to, as the the politician in that that environment, Mm. you've got to follow the clinical advice on... What use of tests is most likely to save lives? And then I'll come back to the social care point because this is really important. There has been an analysis done of how the virus was most likely to get into care homes. And the proportion of infections that got in from discharges, according to the evidence, is around 2%. Because, well, I, the, because actually, you know, people who work in care homes live well, in the look, community. Look, I've heard you, I've heard you and, make and that claim before, Matt. Let me just well, pick I'll you up on it. This is important. Well, I, I know what you say the facts are. Well, I... But I, do I'm, you know... No, 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 I, I've got it here. It's, it's the not 2021, what I say the facts are, it's just the published Well, no, facts. it's a 2021 Public Health England report, right? That's where it comes from. But that data has been dismissed by care operators because they point out that only some people were being tested. So it's actually impossible to know. Take Vic Rayner, Chief Executive of the National Care Forum, that says the data behind that analysis was fundamentally flawed. 
And there are others who say that you're actually trying to rewrite an element of history to suit a current narrative. On the contrary, what I'm trying to do here, and this is really important... And actually, but how could you know on. if they weren't tested? You must understand that yeah. point. So, hence, that analysis was done by testing, uh, by testing samples and trying to find what the best estimate of the truth... You know, the f and, and get to the bottom of what are the facts. Okay. And this is why... This is one of the reasons I've come on the programme. Um, I think it's really important it is. that we learn these lessons. You know, number one lesson is have and maintain a big testing capacity, right? Absolutely. Um, and, um, you know, we didn't have that when I was in the hot seat, mm -hmm. but hopefully next time, you know, that will be there yes. and ready. But we've got to get to the the evidence-based facts in order to learn the right lessons. Because actually, but, you know, there's another big... What happened in care homes was incredibly important. And so I know, far... And so I was about to... I was about to mm. Actually, there's a really big other thing that happened um, that doesn't get this sort of scrutiny in that space, mm. which is that over the summer of 2020, we put in place a rule to say people shouldn't... Uh, staff shouldn't move from one care home mm -hmm. to another. Actually, that is the thing that is credited by the analysis as making sure that we mm -hmm. had much, much uh, better performance, frankly, yes. in care homes in the in the. But it was the these, uh, and I understand that, and you did make that decision later on, I get that. But so far we've been talking about sending COVID-positive patients coming from hospital. Right? No. That's what the discussion no, is about. That, no, that's not true. We're talking about sending people from hospital, and they were sent... It, to be, But to, some were COVID-positive and they were not tested. And they, so they were all isolated. They were all treated as if they might have the disease. Mm -hmm. So, and actually, although you know, care home providers describe the well, isolation plan as laughable. I will, I will, and I'll give you this other, you know, case in this argument, which is that the increase in uh, infections that we saw in care homes happened later than after, significantly mm -hmm. after. At the point at which there were these discharges. So the mm -hmm. fact, uh, okay, the point but, is important, Dan, because yes, but the point it is important, important because actually what we have to do is learn the right lesson. So what I'm well, planning yes, and that's to do, what I'm trying to do, so, because the Department of Health also sent out guidance during the first wave, saying COVID-positive residents with symptoms. So this is with symptoms. We're not even talking about asymptomatic people here. Could be admitted from a home setting into a care home. Why did you think that was safe? Because. You have to work out, based on the clinical advice, what is the most likely thing to protect lives. from Italy and you knew from China that the mortality rates in did. elderly people did, but you've was got it, incredibly it, high. It's, it's incredibly simplistic to um, make this argument. Um, you have to look at the, your likelihood. What's simplistic about it? Oh, well, I'm about to explain. Your likelihood, for instance, um, of... Uh, you, there are people who need to go in to get care because their risk of mortality if they stay at home mm. is high. You have to take that into account as well. So we've got to look at all of the different mm. points, and that's what we did okay. look at at the time. You, you, you told Andrew Marr last June you didn't put a protective, care, uh, protective ring around care homes during the first wave of the pandemic. Have a look. That phrase, protective ring, do you at least regret that? Well, it wasn't true, was I, it? I, I said that much later about what we were doing for the winter plan, and it's been interpreted. Do you stand by what you told Andrew Marr? I, I, I used that phrase. I used that phrase later, yeah, to describe mm -hmm. the the work that we did to learn the lessons from the first phase, the first wave, which meant that actually, okay. in terms of protecting 
But um, I've, I've looked into that. I've looked into that, and it's just not true, Mr. Hancock, because you actually used the phrase multiple times at the start of the pandemic, well before the winter plan. Look. Right from the start, it's been clear that this horrible virus affects older people most. So right from the start, we've tried to throw a protective ring around our care homes. Well, we absolutely did uh, throw a protective ring around social care, not least with the £3.2 billion worth of funding we put in right at the start, topped up with £600 million worth of funding on Friday. Uh, further to that, the Honourable Lady, I think, does know that testing has been carried out in care homes throughout. And I'm glad we've been able to protect the majority of homes and we'll keep working to strengthen the protective ring that we've cast around all our care homes. That so when were you were telling the truth, okay. then or to Andrew Marr? Uh, both. Uh, uh, because How can they both be true? Because you've just played those uh, clips from May, and your criticism, your criticism about the discharge w Before was, the winter was March, right? So... Um, I, but you're I, talking about what... You, it's in May. You're talking about what you did in May and April There's, there's two ways of describing... So you're not talking about what you did in May there. Talk you're talking about what you did in March and April. There's, there's two ways of answering this. The first is um, that the, um, uh, the, the issue you were raising about people having to move out of hospital to, in order to be able to uh, save lives in hospitals, mm -hmm. right, that was in March 2020. Uh, later, I used this... Uh, phrase, throwing a protective ring in May. So it, it's absolutely true, the chronology. But there's a second point, which is much more important, which is we've got to step back from this, right? We've got to step back from, um, from looking at each, uh, 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 picking out individual points. We've got to ask the question, how do we make sure we're better prepared next time? No, I get how that. Do we, right? I get so that. But I, I want to I, talk about be... some of the individual points because then we paint a picture. No, you pay, you, you've gone into specific no, no, and individual points. There's a reason I want to say this. There's a reason I want to say this. Because I think it's very important that we, that, you know, that especially given the role that I had, that I both answer these questions, but also set out the whole piece. Of course. So I'm going to be, I'm writing a book about the, you know, the experience, what it looked like from being health secretary, mm -hmm. what actually happened at the time. That's to right. make sure that we set the whole mm -hmm. set yes. of details out. And absolutely to cover, you know, yep. important questions like absolutely. this that you're raising. And, and, and also the broad piece, because you've got to... You've no, got to indeed. You've got to look and and, and look, we're going to do some big picture, but the specifics are important. And I'm coming to why they're so important. Because, of course, at this time, the line of public health messaging, you would say, propaganda, I might say, was protect the NHS. Yes. That's the message you're going out with. Yeah. But do you now concede that the facts show, the statistics show, that the NHS, even at the peak of you discharging patients into care homes, was never at risk of being overwhelmed? So these care home residents no. actually didn't have to be rushed out, Mr Hancock? No, I'll, that's, that's simply not true. OK, so the peak COVID day was the 12th of April 2020. There were 17,152 inpatients that day. Figures from the National NHS Operational Dashboard, which have recently been confirmed by the NHS to the Sunday Times, shows that 40.9% of NHS general acute beds were unoccupied as of that weekend. Yeah, so, so firstly, 
Obviously, it's not... It's not even close to being overwhelmed. Well, if you let me answer the question. Firstly, it's obviously not true, and anybody who was there knows that it wasn't true. I, did you so these go... statistics are wrong? Well, I guess you didn't go to a hospital at No, I didn't. No. Right, so But I'm you, using so this there. on the stats. So, yeah, so let me explain the stats. Um, COVID is a disease largely uh, that, of the, uh, that affects people when they end up in hospital because it affects their lungs. Mm -hmm. So you ended up with a huge amount of people essentially with broadly the same condition, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to the, the general beds. And we didn't want people to be catching COVID in hospital either. But you're talking about ventilator beds here. Not just ventilated beds, but even if you weren't on a ventilator, you know, those 17,000 people all basically have the same these condition. Are, these are just statistics, Mr. Hancock. On, on the they peak may be, that's COVID the point, case I'm describing the fact. 42% of ventilator beds were unoccupied, as were 32% of intensive care beds and 44% of general well, acute beds. Goodness. And, of course, the Nightingale units, which you yeah, produced yeah. at great expense. Incredibly important, yeah. Why? They, they were mothballed. They were it, never used. Yes, they were used. And if, you, if you, one of your relatives was cared for in a Nightingale hospital, you wouldn't take that dismissal attitude. Um, they were used, you albeit in smaller numbers than the capacity, but that's because I wanted a capacity that was bigger mm -hmm. than what we had. Of course I did. Because do, and, do, let do, me, and the reason for this, let's step back, mm -hmm. right? The reason that the NHS was not overwhelmed is because we brought in the measures to control the virus. And the strategy all along... Well, that is disputed. You know that is well, It's just a fact, OK? It's science. And you've got to base your analysis on science. And the fact is this... The infection rates had, were going down before the next we, lockdown. We, we had a strategy which was based on protecting the NHS until the vaccine made us safe. Mm -hmm. And decisions about lockdown before and after vaccines were uh, widely mm -hmm. distributed were different yeah. and are but different, and that's important. I'll take a step back too, yeah. and the reason why I've focused so much on this care home situation is because my proposition is that you monumentally botched protecting care homes by sending COVID-positive patients back without testing. That killed tens of thousands of people at the start of the pandemic. And then you felt, as a result, that you had to overcompensate with the protect the NHS message, when as those statistics show, the NHS was not close to being overwhelmed. Well... Am I wrong? You are wrong. You've got your chronology wrong. You've got your facts wrong. And you've got your science wrong. But other than that, it's, yeah, it's, well, it's quite if, good. Let's uh, go through those... Every statistic go, that I've produced yeah, is let's go. Up. Yeah, but uh, not in that question that you just so, asked and the accusation that you made. OK, OK? so your so let's, alternative. Yeah, f first, first off, first off, um, you said that... Um, the, uh, there was an overreaction in terms of protect the NHS because of what happened in care homes. But the major peak in care homes came later, it came in April, whereas we started talking about protect the NHS earlier in March. But it came in Second, April hold on, I'd been hold on, hold on. Second point is that um, the reason that we had to dis discharge people um, was we didn't have the testing enough available because we needed the tests to save lives of people who... Uh, were in hospital, um, and we had the arrangements as best as we could in place for isolation. But the third critical point is that the evidence shows that the way that the disease got into care homes was largely from the community, not from those transfers. Okay. All of these well, points wanna... are, are second order to I... the fact that, of course, people change their behaviour to reduce yes, social exactly. contact. And, and you know my position is that you should have trusted the British people to change their behaviour 
in the way that Serbia Well, they did somewhat, which but, is why it started to but move, look, I, but, they, but, don't, but, don't, but not I, enough I, to, I, to I stop the pandemic. I want to move on to Care Homes and show you these pictures of students returning to the school uh, in UK in the COVID era. And, you know, you know what the impact was like for children. And given the impact of school closures on children were predicted and actually predictable, and you've seen from the recent Ofsted report what happened, did you just decide that children should be collateral damage? Uh, no. So why did you shut schools? Because we needed to stop the growth of the pandemic, which otherwise was going to overwhelm the NHS and kill many, many more people. Do you regret using that expression, kill your granny, given the mental health impact that it's had on many children, now provably by statistics? Was that the right approach to take with children? We had, to, we had to communicate as effectively as possible the importance of stopping this disease from spreading and killing more people. Do you, you don't know, regret it? The thing is, Dan, the thing is, Dan, and you'll have, to, you'll have to wait for the book to see the full details of what happened. The thing is, we were saving lives and we were working incredibly hard to do that. You were saving lives from COVID. That I appreciate. Right. But I also, something and that I've been very concerned about. the scale of deaths from about. COVID without action would have been But do you know the scale of deaths from lockdown? Do you have any idea of the number? Well, I'll give you an example. If you look at the Lancet paper recently published, at the total number of excess deaths compared to a normal year, the UK in 2020 was no higher than, and on some measures, lower than, uh, the average amongst yes, the Yes, but many of the deaths from lockdown you would concede are going to come in the years and potentially decades to come. Well, but look, I want to well, talk hold about... Hold on, no, hold on. You, you, well, they you, will. You, you can't disagree with the, the, the Lancet paper. No, but I'm talking about the deaths from lockdown that will come from missed cancer treatments, for example. You're not going to see that immediately in the statistics, are you? Well, uh, that, the, that Lancet paper looks over a two-year period uh, and is effectively um, you know, the best way to look at all of the effects. So I agree with you that all of the impacts uh, need to be taken yeah. into account. Of course, there were human tragedies, though, as a result of lockdown. And one that really hit me hard that I want to mention was the murder of Arthur Labinjo Hughes. Uh, that poor boy's relatives were warned by the authorities to stay away because of lockdown as his evil father and stepmother slowly beat him to death. His uncle, I'm sure you're aware, was actually threatened with arrest when he told police he was planning to check up on his nephew, Arthur. And when Arthur died, he had more than 130 areas of bruising on his body, which Jonas Hankin QC, who was the prosecutor, described as a bruise for every day of lockdown. Arthur was the reason schools should never have been closed, right? Well, this is an awful, awful mm. in case. And... There are many cases, including Arthur's, of um, suffering as a consequence of the pandemic. Um, but was it and wrong to allow a situation to develop where that little boy could be abused, where his relatives were banned from seeing him, where he wasn't at school, he wasn't being checked up by his teachers, he wasn't being checked up by social workers. That was wrong, wasn't it? Surely you can concede that. Well, I don't, I don't know the individual details of that case. But what I can tell you is that 
it's harrowing. Mm, it is. What about the overall cost of lockdown policies? I, I want to play you this clip. And uh, this was when two grieving sons were separated from their widowed mother at the Crown Hall crematorium in Milton Keynes. Yeah. Not in the first wave. This was on the 6th of October 2020. Have a look. It's my privilege to have been asked to conduct our service today to celebrate the life of Alan Wright. I therefore offer you all a very warm welcome as we unite in love and friendship to... You have to put the chair back, I'm afraid. You can't move the chair to result. Your policies, Mr Hancock, caused situations like that, caused grieving folk to miss the final moments of their relatives' lives, caused fathers to, to miss the birth of their children. Do you accept at all that there was overreach on your part and that form of human suffering was not worth it? What I accept in my response to that is that there's a need there's a need in implementation of policies for compassion, and we try to write that in. One of the things I've talked about is that in the, in the first phase, often at funerals, people were not, you know, people felt that they shouldn't or were told that they shouldn't go, even if they were incredibly close. But this was and we changed on. that, yeah. So you did see, of course, you saw consequences like that. But people Dan, are still but Dan being step back, step back. There's a reason that these policies were in place. And the reason is that the scale of the impact in terms of the deaths from letting COVID run mm. without restraint mm. would have been worse. The, the, and that, uh, that is, there's no way, you can't get away from the fact that that's, uh, that's true. The, the problem is, Mr Angle, some people thought that you became too locked down focus. Now, maybe it's because you were working within no. the NHS. No, I, tell you, I just I tell want to ask you about June 2021 specifically, because at that point you were part of this quad, the government quad. So it was Boris, it was Rishi Sunak, it was Michael Gove and it was you. And there was a meeting to discuss in June 2021 whether lockdown restrictions should be extended, whether Freedom Day, remember that, should be delayed. Now, the Daily Telegraph have revealed that three days before this meeting, you came into possession of Public Health England data that revealed really high effectiveness of the vaccines against the Delta variant. Because remember, lots of people were vaccinated by that point. But you didn't share that data in that meeting. And partly as well as about of that, lockdown restrictions were extended for another five weeks. Is it true that you withheld that information? And if so, why? I don't recognise that at all. I mean, you're... you're Multiple sources you're, familiar with the well, meeting you know, said it was know, not raised by Mr Hancock or discussed at all during the talks. The data was also not included in briefing papers given to the Prime Minister, the Chancellor or Michael Gove in advance of the meeting. Well, it sounds like, well, I, look, I, you'll have to wait for the book on that one because I don't know anything about it. Um, but what I can... So, you, so you're, you're not prepared to say whether you withheld this data well, or not? I have, I have absolutely no idea about that account. And I certainly didn't withhold well, data. It was on the front page of the Daily Telegraph, so I imagine you were aware of it. Was, uh, it's, 
I certainly didn't withhold data. That's I could be categorical about that. Because so we hold hold on, come on. You what happens is you ask questions and I answer them. So I'll carry on. So my approach, right, was to use all the data we possibly could to make decisions. But the critical point about about lockdown is that it was necessary until the vaccine could make us safe. It was necessary because otherwise the scale of death six would be months much into the vaccine rollout. In in this case, this question about there was there was no question about withholding data. I've absolutely no idea, but I will look into it uh, for you and make sure that I, uh, I I I have a look at that report and try to understand what actually happened and when, what led to it being written. But these things were, there was lots and lots of words written about what went on in those meetings and uh, not all of them were 100% accurate. No, I can imagine. Um, look, our time is nearly out. There's so much more I could ask you and want to ask you, so you will have to come back when your book is released. But just step back for a moment and look at the consequences of lockdown, because I appreciate what you're saying yeah. in terms of COVID. Of course I yeah. do. Yeah. But what I'm not getting is any sense of regret about what the British public were put through at times unnecessarily. Well, the, 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 uh, the word that I disagree with in your question there is unnecessarily, right? And that's because these were big weights on both sides of the scales. And they were big judgments. Mm -hmm. And we, I, I always was cognizant of the impact of the decisions that we were taking. But I was also acutely aware of the huge damage that so would no come. So no regrets at all? Oh, I, that's not quite what I said. Uh, but what I, what I say is that we, I understood that there were impacts on both sides, absolutely. And the goal was to get the right balanced uh, outcome. And especially before the vaccine, we knew that if you didn't have measures in place, then the impact would have been very terrible indeed. Matt Hancock, I very much appreciate you giving evidence to the lockdown inquiry and do come back when the book is out. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.